This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Ferd Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Ferd Neiman here again today with another episode of the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast. Today's episode is 10 Steps to Getting Your Loan Approval. This came up with a client this week, and it's something that I sometimes take for granted. But uh, when I first made my first mobile home park loan request, it was my dad and me on a deal in our hometown in Quincy, Illinois. First deal, we had done some single family flips, done some single family rentals. I think we may have had a few duplexes by that time. We decided we wanted to get in the mobile home park business and we found a deal. Well, it wasn't that great a deal. We kind of paid retail price, but we wanted to get in the game and it seemed like a reasonable deal. It was 54 pads. I think it was 40 something occupied. Um, a few a few park-owned homes. It was already sub-metered, but we later found out it wasn't done that well. Uh, market rents even. We just we want to get in the business. We thought we could make this a little better. We could fill the rest of the occupancy. We could fix it up and be a long-term hold for us. The, the catch was it was $695,000. And uh, I don't know about Dad. Uh, I got a pretty good guess. But I know that I didn't have anywhere near that much money laying around. So we had to go to the old bank. And we went to several banks, and they told us no, several of them. Or they gave us really crappy terms, like 50% down, and at the time, what seemed like a really high interest rate. This was pre-Biden economy, so interest rates weren't what we're seeing in today's economy. But nonetheless, they were they were not pleasant to receive, so we, we kept trying. We tried several banks. Eventually, we got the yes. Ironically, the bank that told us no... That loan officer later went to the bank that told us yes, and he told us why he told us no. And But he did say, but your guys, his guys didn't like the deal, didn't like the asset class, didn't think it was going to make sense. Um, but he said, but your loan application package was the gold standard, which I thought it was the, just what I, I often say best practice, but I guess it's not best practice. It's better than best practice because a lot of times the quote best practice is not that good. So we put together a really nice loan package, and I'm going to teach you what that's like today. And while it didn't get me a loan with that bank, it did get me a loan with a different bank. And my first deal, I got a $695,000, 100% finance loan. Three and a half years later, we sold that deal for $950,000. And it wasn't that much of a heavy lift. So all in, we made about $350,000 by the time we took in cash flow and POH sales. Back then, we were making a little profit on POH sales. Nowadays, it's little thinner margins on the home sales or even break-even or, in some instances, even a loss leader. But I digress. But I have that latitude, I guess, because it's my podcast. Uh, But anyway, I'm going to teach you guys something today. This will help get a loan. I had a client this week that was um, fishing for a loan. And getting loans in mobile home parks are, are not easy. It was it's easier now than it was five years ago or seven years ago when I was getting going. I guess this year it's been at this point it's been eight years since I got going on these, but it, there are more banks that'll do it. Um, but some some deals have a little hair on them, and deals with hair on them are just harder to get loans if they're you know below fifty pads, for example. They're not institutional grade. Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, most CMBS 
lenders are not going to touch them. So you're looking at local bank, regional bank, or seller carry. Today we're not talking about seller carry, we're talking about bank loan. So here we go. What are the 10 steps? And these are like all tilt, if you need them all. At this point in my life, I don't really use all these, but I'll get into some of that. Um, number one, identify the bank that you're going to make an ask of. And you need to know lots of bankers. Like I have lots of banker friends. Um, I don't always use them for loans, but I've always got a second or third or fourth bank in the hopper because I've been told no by many a bank. And most real estate developers or investors or mobile home park owners have been told no by many a bank. And that's okay. It's part of the process. Um, and part of the reason you get told no is you get more and more aggressive on your ask. And that's kind of where I'm at today. I haven't been told no in a while, but sometimes I get, I get a maybe like, well, we'll do it, but we don't want your terms. You're aggressive because I now ask for the terms. I used to say, please, pretty, please, with sugar on top, will you give me a little bit of your money? And now I, you know, I say, I need a loan request. I need a, I got a loan request. I need approval next week. And sometimes it happens. Um, a lot of times it happens actually, because it's a win-win because the bank and I have a good relationship or several banks and I have a good relationship. So in step one, identify the bank. Step two, make an application. I really don't fill out formal application paperwork nowadays, but basically they need to, as part of the closing process, they will verify who's the beneficial owner. Basically, if you own more than 20% of the deal, you or other people, you're going to need to sign as a beneficial owner and you're going to probably have to sign a guarantee, um, at least on a local bank. Most of these processes is for a local bank today. I probably should do another episode on agency loans and that because it's a whole other animal. And other parts of the application, you have to answer questions like, what's your financial history? Like, have you ever filed bankruptcy? That's a big one. Uh, so that's that's part of the process as well. And then just your personal data, you know, like, you know, social security number, you know, name, height, weight, no, name, address, all that kind of stuff. Just basic application. Then they're going to want your personal financial statement. This is basically what do you own versus what do you owe? What you got left is your net worth. And some lenders don't really care that much about it, but it's just a check the box thing. And and then same thing with tax returns and pay stubs. They'll generally pull your credit, but it's not really a credit score game. You know, commercial loans are generally asset based, not credit based, but it is a combination. So nowadays, most banks like I don't fill out, give them my personal financial statement or tax return with every loan application. I have a loan covenant or a bank agreement that says I have to turn that in. I think it's 30 days after my filing or if there's a material change. So I generally buy more than one property a year, so I, I update my financial statement at least quarterly, ideally monthly. That's one of the tips to growing wealth is you watch what you're worth financially on a monthly basis. As Peter Drucker says, what gets measured gets managed. But you, you gotta do it at least once a year. Um, on a new loan, first deal, you're gonna turn in your financial statement and your tax return. Okay, that's the basic stuff. Now we start jumping into the meat. Um, you need to give get some data on the subject property. What's the size, the purchase price, the unit count, the general location? On a mobile home park, you know, it's generally important. What's the type of the infrastructure? If you've already got an LOI or a contract, give them a copy of that. And then they often want due diligence items you have, like seller financials. That's the impetus for this episode. Client said, hey, bank wants seller financials. And I said, I've closed 20 parks and I've only given the bank Seller financials in like five. And part of the reason I do that is sometimes the seller has really crappy financials and they're worthless. Like he owns 50 rental houses, three trailer parks, a car wash, um, and his personal financials all in his personal name, all in the same checking account. Okay, it's really hard for the bank to decipher much. So I tell the bank like, hey, don't worry about this guy's financials. I'm going to run it differently. 
look at my pro forma and my expenses. A lot of them you can back into. Like here's what the taxes are currently. Here's what the taxes are projected. Here's the utilities I got from the utility company. Here is um, the snowplow bid. Here's the mowing bid. You know, here's the insurance quote for my insurance provider. Here's the loan uh, debt service that you guys have provided. So come on, man. I got market management fees. I got a manager, a greeter, or some combination. So you can often get the bank to cave and not to reconstruct it. I have one bank in particular that he knows that I don't like to give him the financials because if I give them to him, he has them. And he has to give them to underwriting. And underwriting, underwriters are the type of bankers that are trained to say no. This is a, this, that's their jam. They're trying to say no. They're very risk averse. Because as the bank, what's their upside? If I sit here and get all excited, I could turn this thing into 3x, 4x, and I could make a million dollars. And they're like, we could get 5% plus a quarter point origination fee, and we get reimbursed for the appraisal and the search fee. Banks don't get that much upside, right? So they don't get that excited. So they're, they're pessimists by nature, or best pragmatists, and they... They're trying to say no. So when I don't when I have when I do have seller financials and they're unfavorable, my lender will say, "Do you have seller financials?" And if I take a page out of the movie Rounders, when Matt Damon's playing against Johnny Chan, what does Johnny say when he's bluffing? Did you have it? I'm sorry, John. I don't remember. So I'll say to my banker, "I'm sorry, John. I don't remember." And that's my way of telling him, don't ask me for the financials. But if, I, but if I give them to you, you have to provide them. But instead, you can go back to underwriting and say, Fur did not give me the financials. I don't have them to share with underwriting. And then I'm not lying to the bank, but it's kind of a wink, wink. You don't need to know negative information from seller because it's going to cloud the judgment of underwriting. And you know and I know that the last guy is not going to run as well as I did. But that's the DD items on the subject property. Next, this is the big one. And this is where people take a whiff. And they, and they don't do this. You need to give them your business plan. Like, what are you going to do with the property? Don't just say, I got a deal. Okay. You should have a market analysis. You could have a detailed financial analysis. And this would include, at a minimum, here's my sources and uses, my capital stack. Here's my CapEx or day one budget. Like, how much am I spending on dumpsters, on demo, on road repair, on tree trimming? It's just a day one budget. And then you need a, you ideally need a profit and loss uh, pro forma. What are, and what are your assumptions? You know, what are your assumptions for revenue? Um, increases in rent rates. What are your expense projections? Where are you going to, you know, get rid of water sewer uh, invoicing or, or billing and, and cost? Um, what's your infill rate or your absorption rate of vacant units? What's your financing source for Parkland Homes? Because the bank's probably saying it ain't us. Oh crap! Is it cash? Is it twenty first mortgage? Is it PEP? Is it a buddy? What is the system? What is the process? What is the source? Another assumption they want to know about. They're general, a lot of bankers are not that smart, to be honest. Um, some of the bigger banker, bankers are. Some of the investment bank, investment bankers are really smart. But your average banker is lazy and salesy. And that's okay because that's, that's fun. But fun working with them at all. But some of them aren't that smart. smart so they don't really care about what's your exit uh, valuation or your um, reversion value. What's your exit cap rate? What's your refi assumptions? They don't often care about that. They do care about it as your different scenarios. Like scenario A. We get approved by 21st mortgage. They're going to fund the houses. Scenario B, I need to raise $2 million more cash. What does that do? And they're going to run a good bank's going to run a stress test and kind of pressure test this. And this most sophisticated will, will increase the cap rate and the interest rate at refinance and the cap rate at exit. And that really uh, 
you know, reduces your loan proceeds uh, irrespective of the year one debt coverage ratio, because that's another term that the banks really care about, debt coverage ratio, which basically means after paying us, how much extra do you have on an annual basis? And if the net operating income is 120000 and the debt service is 100, well, that's a 1.2, 120 over one over 100 they generally want at least 1.2 sometimes 1.25 on a value ideal or a refinance they may want 1.35 and even more perhaps if you have interest only they may want 1.35 to 1.5 during the io period next a more sophisticated financial analysis a lot of people don't do don't know how to do a lot of bankers don't know how to do or understand and that'd be a discounted cash flow analysis which basically you can calculate your internal rate of return I'm um, not using a variety of assumptions. It also will, this can, you can also very easily calculate a, an equity multiple or cash on cash return, cash on equity return, all these other things. But basically the IRR analysis is people understand what IRR means, at least on its face. They don't know how to properly create it, but they know this function in Excel is what equals IRR open parent, drag across the sum, left to right, close parent, enter. But that is not how you understand IRR. Um, that's on another podcast. I've covered that before. Okay, the other things as part of your business plan is like, what are the risks? Like, disclose the risks. Disclose the opportunities. Let them know that you didn't forget about it. You know, basically, um, cut them off the pass. It's like, yeah, this could go wrong, but here's how I've already thought to mitigate it. I've already solved this. I've already come up with the solution to the problem that you haven't even identified yet. And then what's your management plan? Like, is this local? Are you local? Is there a third-party manager? Is there an on-site greeter? Does he or she have teeth? How does that come into play? And then just generally just pitch your vision, right? And show them your vision for the property, including your your estimated time horizon. And then the seventh step would be, you got to give them your background or resume, especially if you're new, you know, like you're new to the lender. You know, here's my, you know, I've done five projects like this, or I have, I've done zero projects like this, but I've also flipped nine houses, or I have a, law degree or I'm a construction manager or whatever else is your jam, you gotta you gotta provide that. The A step, this is also this is more next level that I can that I can now do more easily, is the loan request. You know, the pitch or the ask. And now I I know what the I've had I've got a once you've got a bank term sheet, I know like their format and their generic terms. I ask for that in Microsoft Word, and then I just use that going forward as this is the term sheet that I want to use, and I just I use their format, and I turn around, and I make an offer to them, and it's the ask. And I, I generally try to be a little aggressive, giving them a little room to wiggle. And then in there, I also include the details. You know, what's the amortization, the term, or the loan, the interest rate, uh, if I'm asking for a line of credit on mobile homes or guidance loans on mobile homes after I rent them. What is the release price for homes or for other parcels of land? What is the guarantee provisions? Like if, if I only own 40% of the deal, I don't want to guarantee 100. I want to guarantee 40. Um, but if I'm syndicating, I own 40. Well, then I probably have to guarantee 100. But if I'm syndicating, I own 40 and my dad owns 25, then dad should have to sign off for 25. And then generally you want to understand what your prepay penalty is. There's lots of different types of prepay. The more complicated would be yield maintenance um, or, or later some derivative of defeasance. The simplest would be 1% prepay. A lot of them will have like 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 5% the first year, 4% the second year, and so on. 
or 331 or 321 or 21 or something like that. And then you just need to know that what are the other details as far as like other covenants. Like a couple of my lenders now, I have deal specific debt coverage ratios, but then I have global debt coverage ratios. And this is basically the bank's way of saying we might approve this deal that has no cash flow at the beginning because it's a heavy lift. So the, the DCR is really low or perhaps even less than one, in which they generally wouldn't prove that. But let's say it's 1.05. They might approve that for me, but they're going to make sure that my global is at least 1.35, meaning my other deals are cash flowing really well. So they won't let me do too many uh, heavy lift deals at one time. And that also includes if I have personal debt. You know, if I have a car loan, that's going to mess it up. It's one of the reasons I paid off my cars. It's like at first I was like, oh, I'll just get loans on my cars because they're 3% interest, I might as well put that money somewhere else and make a higher yield. Well, car payments by their nature are high because they're short amortization. Like, well, I don't, I can afford to pay them off. It's really jacking with my DCR. Let's not mess with that. So when I decided to buy a second home, like, okay, that has zero revenue. I, that's, I know that's going to mess up my DCR. Well, I need to make sure that that net negative monthly expense is going to um, not mess up my next deal. If it's going to mess up my next deal, I need to just pay cash for this house. I don't generally want to pay cash for a second home because it's, in my opinion, a low yield and I'd rather just have cheap debt and put the money in higher bearing returns. Just putting it in my own deals, I'm going to make higher return than 4% the bank's going to charge me. But I got to make sure that I'm not messing up other loan covenants or terms. Some of those loan covenants terms are the things like provide a personal financial statement, provide a tax return on an annual basis, things like that. Notify them immediately if you have a, you know, any sort of foreclosure or any, any sort of significant event. Um, that's the blocking and tackling of the loan approval process. The The ninth one is is not often present, but it would be what are the complicating factors of this deal? Like, are you buying it or selling it or coming in somehow under a, under a tenant common structure? Or is it a 1031? Do you have partners? Are you approaching any loan sizes or maximum amounts that are problematic? So one bank I work with a lot, I'm at the bank maximum limit. Um, so I had to get waivers from the board to go higher than that. Well, at some point, I was getting close to the statutory limit for that small bank based on that bank's asset center management or whatever they call it. So I they had the, I had to work with the bank say, hey, I got this one coming in. It's, I've had to delay a refinance with that bank until I uh, sold a different property. So it, it delayed my refinance like a month. So I had to sell a different property. Now we're at the point where the bank is participating out some of my loans to other banks because they're like, look, you're... You're, I think the limit on that bank is $12.5 million. They're like, you're going to be at more than $12.5 million, so we need to find another bank to take two here, take two here, take two here. And then I can keep doing acquisitions. And I like to use that bank for acquisitions, one, because I have a good relationship, but two, in general, I can turn in a loan request on a Friday and get approval by a Tuesday, which really allows me to move expeditiously and helps me in a competitive market. But I have to then have the bank unload something. So it's a complicating factor. I've also, with a couple different banks, got permission to have a second lien, a seller carry second mortgage. The bank obviously wants it to be junior priority, but you still need permission because it does choke the cash flow. You got to pay two, two loans. I have one loan that I have a 98.5% leverage on right now. I bought it at a good price. The bank's like, I don't care if you got a second. The seller carried a second. I got 80% on the first and I got 18 and a half on the second. Um, I have almost no money in that deal, um, but it's a good deal. 
The 10th factor um, of getting a loan approval is who's your next lender? Because you always need another loan later and you need a lender for a refinance, but even just on the first deal, what if they say no? You go through this whole process and the bank can say no. I've given other stories on here of banks that told me yes, then committee told me yes, then super committee at headquarters told me yes, and then the CEO vetoes it in the last two weeks. Uh, so you're always gonna have somebody else on the ready. And if you don't and it works, then step 10 is thank your lender. Um, I'd like to think in priority order, um, my employees are first. People say the customer's always right. No, they're not. I like tenants, but the customer's not right. My employees are right. My employees are first because they get they put up a lot of crap from a lot of tenants that they shouldn't have to. Employees are first. I'd say the lenders are second. And then investors are third. And tenants are fourth. Maybe investors are fourth and tenants are third. But the point is, I like I, I, I care more about my lenders than my investors. No offense to investors. But without the lenders, I can't get investors. And there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of investors out there. But there are not. I don't have hundreds of lenders that will make me mobile home park loans on a regular basis. So I really appreciate the lenders. Um, this has been a successful process for me. And you can put this in a, you could do this just in an email with attachments. I've done it before with, you know, hardbound copy, you know, and put in a binder. And then like, you know, I've included things like pictures in the map and um, the, the site map. And, you know, if I've got third party reports, sometimes I'll include those. I generally just now include, I'll just, they just know I do them. I'll just say, look, I'm going to get a phase one environmental. I'm going to get a survey. I'm going to give the title commitment and title insurance policy and they just trust me and the lenders gonna require a lender's policy but you could you know provide more information and then if you're doing something other than mobile home park obviously you can put in design plans and all that kind of jazz i used to do retail with retail i'd put together a site map and um, give a summary of the leases and here look we've got a we got a lease coming with raising canes we got a aldi we got a TJ Maxx, we got a sleep number, or all these different places. And I'm like, here's the terms, here's the lease. And I'd have to go, in that case, you'd actually go, and I've done this, done this many times actually, you gotta go in person, get an appointment, ideally with the head of credit and the vice president of the banking, and ideally the head of the bank. It's harder to do early on, and get an audience and walk to through them. And I think it was Mark Twain that said, if you can't, Dazzle them with brilliance, baffle them with BS. So it's an opportunity to do one of the two. And I've, I really take, anytime the, anytime the president of the bank gives me an opportunity to meet with him, I do. I've done that with a couple different banks and it's really been helpful. Um, on the first deal I had that, you know, that wasn't the case, right? But it's but as you get more aggressive, you ask for better terms, you know, where you start wanting 80 LTVs instead of 70s, things like that. You start wanting refinances at 70 instead of 65. Things like that, you got to build a personal and materially significant relationship with the lender and the lender's team. And having a bunch of uh, checking accounts with a bunch of deposits really helps. You'll get a better loan and better loan terms for the lender that you keep your deposits at. Some lenders actually require you keep a deposit account there, and among other reasons, so they can claw it down if you miss a payment. But anyway, those are the 10 steps to getting your loan approved. Hopefully this was helpful. Until next time, thanks and God bless. You've been listening to the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Ferd Neiman. 
Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review, and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.